my goal was to not just be a girl with a piano because I feel like even though that's great and awesome, I wanted to be able to make more of what I could hear in my head that I couldn't actually do just with my own hands. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Kara Marizi. You may know Kara from such bands as Linnea Crux, singing backup with Slick Lisp. Upcoming, she'll be playing with Modern Drugs. So, Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Today, we're going to be listening to her song, Twist and Turn, off the album Stronghold, which was released May 1st of 2020. So, without further ado... Let's listen to the song. Who you're hurting, you 
Welcome back. So, Kara, my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the words or was it the music? That's a good one. For this particular song, it was actually little snippets of both at the same time. The chorus part, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, kind of all like twist and turn it all around, just kind of all came in one little nugget. And I was just sort of playing with that for a little bit and then started fleshing out the rest of the melody. And then it was one of those things where once I got the verse melody down, the words just kind of spilled out all at once. And the only thing that I didn't have at that point was the bridge. So then the bridge was its own beast and was formed in a completely different way. You originally recorded this back in 2016 and released it with Ryan. And I was listening to that earlier and you've made a few changes How did that change come about? Yeah, so you're talking about the differences between the single when I released it in 2016 and then again, the difference on the album. Um, It was one of those things where I started working with Ryan, I guess it was 2014 or so in the studio, and we were kind of taking this approach where we were working on one song at a time. And as we kept working, and they were all things that I had written and just sort of brought in And my goal was to eventually create an album. So as we kept writing and creating the songs together, it got to the point where we had what felt like a unit. And then our friend Alan came in and started mixing. And it was when his voice came into the mix that there were some tweaks and a few changes with production. The words didn't really change, but the way the song was produced changed a little bit. And the idea was that so many of these songs had been written over such a long period of time that we needed to make sure that they sounded cohesive together as a unit. So a lot of the changes were more to make sure that everything felt like it was on the same plane. I don't know if you'll be comfortable talking about the nature of the lyrics in this song and if that's okay if we dive into the backstory on that. Yeah, I I think I can talk about it in a way that won't incriminate (laughs) anybody. But it definitely was based on an actual event. And then as the song grew, I also wanted the lyrics to be something that other people could relate to. So even if they didn't know exactly what I was referring to, everybody can relate to that feeling of being in a situation with someone where one person sees it one way and the other person sees it a completely different way. And this feeling of okay, you go ahead and twist that around in your head so that you can be okay with it. But that's not the truth. I'll try to talk about it in a way that's, you know, not going to like hurt anybody's feelings. It was something that happened where there were four of us involved, my husband and I, and two other people. And it was a traumatic event. And afterwards, my husband and I had a very long drive home. So we had a lot of time to process and think about what had just happened. And Over that time, we kept sort of expecting there to be this closure, this conversation, this kind of, okay, let's talk about this. This was intense. And it never came and it never came. And then eventually my husband finally had to kind of say something like, this was a big deal. And the two people that were involved on the like, quote, other side of it had all these 
excuses and explanations. And it just seemed very like, how could you even possibly interpret it that way? <laughs> like it was just so far from what we had experienced. And so this song was very cathartic for both of us. It actually turned out to be my husband's favorite song on the album, but it felt good to be able to get it out in a way that felt productive because we were not going to be able to see eye to eye about the situation. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that even though this is told from your perspective, I still feel like you're trying to make a peace offering in some ways in the way that you're doing it. And you're also recognizing how the other party is dealing with the information themselves. Like you you make this, why so angry, why so helpless? You know, there's this sense of that you're asking in your own self, why are they angry? And it may not just be because they are angry, it's because they also feel helpless in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really feel like, obviously, you know, you know the saying that there's never two sides. There's always like the truth somewhere yeah. <laughs> in the middle, right? And so I always want to try to have that mindset of, you know, I don't know exactly what the other person's going through, what they're feeling at that moment. And there are probably things that I contributed or did or are doing that I'm not seeing, you know, from my own perspective. So trying to understand that we're all human and we all see things in different ways and that there may be underlying emotions or things that happened that I'm not aware of that contributed to the tense situation. I think everybody's probably been in that situation in one way or another where you feel like, oh, okay, I, I get why, you know, that one thing is the thing that made them snap. When you hit the bridge, it's a very vulnerable and exposed sound. There's also the sense of like you're acquiescing a little bit. And maybe that's just my own uh, interpretation because it's close the blinds and close the door, like as if you're you're leaving that situation behind and then we won't bother anymore where it's just like, look, agree to disagree or whatever you want to call it. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, that's a really cool interpretation. It's actually two-sided. You're right. It is that idea that we were stepping out of the situation and we were actually going to be leaving and driving a long way. So we were closing the door. But also this sense of the other party, the other side, pretending like it didn't happen for quite a long time. And this idea that like, okay, if I just if I just close the blinds and just go about my day, <laughs> I can sort of pretend that this like really big thing didn't just happen. And the next line, you know, what we had to give was time. And that time was up at that point. Like we had to go, we had to get back. It's all of those feelings mixed up into, you know, both sides and how you could like see how both sides are struggling in their own ways. The way that this was produced, I feel like your verses, the vocal part, actually like the effects, make your voice sound confined. I don't know if that's intentional, but it fits so well. You're talking about shooting daggers and slinging arrows. You got up right, but you'll say what you mean. Kind of defensive a little bit, like defensive posture. 
Mm-hmm. And then when you hit the chorus, your own vocals don't feel confined anymore. It's like you're singing out into a grandstand rather than singing into a little club. And then when you get to the bridge, it's empty again, but then you're opening up. And then there's that modulation when it's it's hard to see yourself through someone else's pain. You weren't the only one doing vocals on this part where it's kind of like there's this backup chorus kind of sound, backup vocals. It's all me. Oh, but okay. it's me like nine times or something. I, ha- uh-huh. I lost track how many vocal tracks there are, but it's it's like wall of Kara, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things to do in the studio. It's so fun. The final chorus where all of a sudden there's like some sevenths added and and like yeah. a little bit of like, I don't know if it's because of the inversion of the chord, but it, you know, even a little bit diminished and augmented sound to it. You're a steady voice through this, but the, the situation around you, the music seems like it's starting to stir up into chaos, which is interesting because I would have thought that the goal for this song would have been to how do we figure out how to resolve this? But it feels like you wanted it to keep open-ended because it is still open-ended, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like, yeah, what we were talking about, like, quarterly in that final chorus, we switched up the bass line. So it changed what the main vocal melody line was doing at that point so that then all the other parts could stack a bit higher and it kind of adds, like, more of that sense of, like, ah! sort of at the end and you're right it was a situation that was unresolved for many many years i could say that now it's resolved but it took almost five years to resolve this between the four of us and what you were talking about about the vocals being compressed alan and and ryan know all the technical awesomeness when it comes to that but i know there was compression involved (laughs) and eq and all of that cool stuff to like give it different feelings and Mm -hmm. so there's different effects on different vocal takes and oftentimes we'll double certain parts so that they have a little bit more bite and then harmonies on top of that the thing about the bridge is it's so tiny and so vulnerable like you said and underneath it it's like every chord in the book like we basically weave our way chromatically through so many chords and it's just within this tiny little bit of time where the vocal part is sort of working out all these emotions and then it just kind of explodes again to this sort of finale of like massive guitar and all the cool stuff so it has so many parts to it, it it almost feels a bit orchestral at times just because it's such a big growth over the song. And I love that. (laughs) You said that there was kind of this play back and forth between you would write a little bit of the words and then you would write some of the music with it. When did you start feeling like they were kind of coming together? So I started writing that twist and turn it all around till it comes out right. Like that was on the car ride home as I had my little notebook and I was singing to the phone. And then it was one of those where pretty shortly after getting home, verse one came out. The shooting dagger slinging arrows was at the caffeine talking. I was like, yep, that's part of it, you know. I think it was probably within like two weeks where I had been going to Ryan's studio weekly as much as I could, you know, life and kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was a pretty quick turnaround where I came in and I said, I've started this new one. I really want to get going on it right away. So we sat down with it and I played that 
main chorus part for him and had those first verse words, probably start of second verse words, right away he's like, okay, I love what you've got so far, but we've got to make sure it doesn't get monotonous. Like we can't just be going one to flat six, you know, over mm-hmm. and over again. And so immediately we started tweaking and figuring out how we could change up choruses so it's not the same every time and and make sure that the baseline was interesting. And then I think within a couple weeks after that, we set, we spent an entire evening figuring out that bridge, just what the chords were going to be. And then it was like, how am I going to fit words to this? Because it's so like chromatic. I'm like, I don't even know how to sing over this. I just started messing around until we finally came on a melody. And and once we had that, it was easy to produce the song. It was just sort of hmm. like growing it and building it. Like one idea feeds on another, you know. You know, I'd been songwriting kind of on my own for some time before I started working with Ryan. And it was like being able to go have another person who thinks harmonically very similarly to me. And I learned so much from just the way his brain thinks about music. It really was like going into a magical emporium and being like, well, I could play with this and see what this does. And at first I was pretty confined to like, well, I'm a keyboardist and a vocalist and feeling very like that's pretty much where it stops and I need somebody else to bust me out of that and help me see how other instruments can fit into this picture. And I knew I wanted lots of guitar on that song and I could kind of be like, you know, like this. And then you sort of play like a a reference track or whatever. And then he'd be like, okay, I got it. And that, that collaboration is what allowed me to continue to make more music and then eventually the album. My goal was to not just be a girl with a piano. Because I feel like even though that's great and awesome, I wanted to be able to make more of what I could hear in my head that I couldn't actually do just with my own hands. So what is your favorite part in this song? I think it is that uh, transition from the bridge to the final chorus because that's where we really stacked all the harmony parts and i think it's somewhere between 9 and 13 vocal tracks we kind of referred to it as our like brian wilson wall of sound mm-hmm. section of the song and it was just super fun to keep like okay yep i can do i'll do the third i'll do the fifth i'll do the seventh i'll do the ninth let's do the 13th like why not let's double that you know it grows and it gets so big and then the guitars really like hit it pretty hard right on that final chorus and then I can just wail that last note. So that's my favorite part. That's kind of the stuff that I feel like I can't do when it's just me. That's what I love about being in the studio. It's just like the production part of it just gets me so excited. (laughs) It's not exactly like one of those, oh, I feel great when I hear that song, but hopefully it makes you feel something powerful. And I feel like music should move us and make us feel things and be in situations in our minds. So hopefully that does that in a positive way for people. (laughs) Even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic, The Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged, home-cooked meals free 
to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back, Kara. I'm just curious, where did the name Linnea Crux come from? That is such a great question, and so many people have wondered that. So it's kind of a funny story. It's been, it was really difficult to come up with my band name. I went through many, many choices, and every time I came up with something I really liked, you know, it was taken, somebody had it already, or it just wasn't cool or whatever. So I kept kind of coming back to the name Linnea because it's a favorite name of mine. My mother always really enjoyed that name. It's a Swedish name, and my mother is Swedish. Um, and Linnea is a type of flower. And my favorite teddy bear growing up was named Linnea. Well, Eric Eric is my husband. Eric and I were talking about how we needed, like, another thing with it. it it can't just be Linnea. It has to be Linnea something. And he's like, well, it has to sound tough, you know, <laughs> because Linnea is such a like soft, flowery name. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, we were looking for just sort of one night sort of getaway a couple years ago. We were going through some stuff. My my late dog, Oscar, was was dying and uh. like we were just having a tough tough time so we had like a one night getaway where we went to stay out of town and while we were there we went to a planetarium and they were showing us the moons of neptune and the linea they call them the lines that mm -hmm. are on the moon and where they cross and i was uh. and eric was like crux that's it it's crux because crux means cross and linea means lines and um, and I was like, that's perfect because, you know, this process for me of writing music and sort of growing as a musician and growing in a different way, because I studied classical music and musical theater and, and opera and all of those things and nothing ever really felt just right. So learning to be a pop musician has been quite a journey for me and it felt really right, this idea of how paths in your life take you one direction and then you might be going in a different direction and all of the different ways that life can take you. And I just felt huh. like that's it. So it that's what it means. It's the intersections that make life interesting, right? So absolutely. And the choices we make when we reach one. Do you have a favorite Champaign Urbana music venue? Oh, that's a good one. I enjoyed going to the high dive when that was a thing. My two go-tos would be the outdoor stage at Seven Saints. I think that's just such a lovely patio. And when it was Mike and Molly's, it was awesome. And I really like the outdoor space behind Poor Brothers. I think that's such mm. a beautiful 
like when it's all lit up in the summer and I've seen a few bands there and it's just like a really nice vibe. So I really hope that we'll get to play there at some point. I think that would be great. Do you have a favorite Champaign-Urbana musician? Is there a band that you think that people should listen to? Yeah, I mean, when I do get out, I always support Ryan and Elsnore. Um, I like to go see um, Brandon Washington and whenever he's playing with his band, with Mike and Cece. So Brandon and I both teach music to elementary students and we used to share students at King Elementary School and then he um, moved over to teaching at Dr. Howard and so I took over all the music at King and he's the music teacher at Dr. Howard so I love going to support him. He's just an amazing performer. It's really fun to just see how like into it he gets so I love going out to see him. Yeah, I mean, there's so many great bands in town. Um, Terra Terra is always really great to see. So this album was released just after the pandemic hit. Do you plan to go out and perform live at some point? Yeah, that that would be so amazing. So the timing was unfortunate because we were finished writing everything in the fall of last year and then we were just mixing basically from probably you know october on and it was pretty clear that by january february things were wrapping up on the album and we were starting to plan how would we do this live we were starting to talk about it because linnea crux really grew from just me writing songs and bringing them to Ryan, to Ryan and I really collaborating, and then Alan coming into the mix and doing the mix, you know? We're gonna need all three of us to be able to do this, to make it sound as close to what the production is as possible. I mean, I can totally play all these songs on the piano, but that's very stripped down. And so we were having those discussions about, okay, you know, what are we going to do about drums? Are we going to try to get a drummer? Everything was still up in the air. And then when COVID happened, it was like, well, I don't want to not release it. Like, I don't want to wait another year or whatever. So I just came to the conclusion that, you know what, it's done. I'm excited about it. Let's just release it. I did sort of a live concert with just me and the piano. And then we did a listening party just for friends. So we listened to the album together in like a Zoom room (laughs) and talked about it. And it was pretty fun. But the intention was always that as soon as we're able to, we want to play these songs live. I would at least love to have a couple of shows, like actual release shows. And so our thought was that, you know, Ryan and Alan had been working in their own group called Milford Men and had been working on songs together. So we were thinking, well, we could kind of do a double feature (laughs) where, you know, I could support them with keyboards for Milford Men and then they can support me for Linnea Crux and we would do sort of a a double show that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that sort of led into... Modern Drugs, which is the three of us are part of that. There's two other people involved. It'll be interesting to see if we'll still be able to fit in some Milford Men and some Linnea Crux while also introducing Modern Drugs to the world. How did you get into acting and then also just uh, scoring for 
film. Yeah. Well, I've been acting pretty much my whole life. I started when I was a kid. Um, my mom saw that that was something I really enjoyed doing and got me involved in the local theater where I'm from, Galesburg, Illinois. And they have a community theater there called Prairie Players. And I, I started acting basically in anything I could get into. Um, and I did classes and stuff growing up. So when I came to town, that was something I sought out and started getting involved in local theater. I've been acting with the Station Theater for a long time, with Parkland occasionally, CUTC occasionally. I've even done some summer studio theater at University of Illinois when that was program. That was a really great program because it was one of the only paying professional theaters that we had in town at the time. And then I started film scoring by accident, but I was really excited about it because of this wonderful program that we have here called Pens to Lens, which is a a local screenwriting competition for students who are kindergarten through 12th grade. And I got involved primarily with that at first as an actor and as sort of a collaborator, somebody to bounce ideas off because I was a teacher in the community. So I helped spread the word and I would have my students write scripts and submit. And as it started rolling, each year I found myself involved in films in different ways, sometimes acting in films. Somebody reached out and asked if I would score. I think Thomas Nickel actually offered the first film and it wasn't part of Pencilens, but I scored a, a short film for him and He was pretty happy, I think, with how it went. And then one year, Andrew Gleason and Chris Lukeman were working on a a short film called Double Machine. They asked if I would write a little piece of music for the movie because the screenwriter, who was a second grader at the time, had written in that this mad scientist sings a little song, but he didn't write any music for him. So I wrote a little ditty for the mad scientist to sing. And then they said, well, (laughs) since you wrote this little ditty, how would you feel about scoring the whole film? And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, that's super amazing and terrifying because they uh-huh. they were on a time crunch. But I did it and it was super fun and I learned a lot. They And then more people started asking. So I think I've scored about eight short films now and most of them were pens to lens, but some are just local community filmmakers who like to just keep working on things and sometimes will offer to local musicians it's a cool thing to do it's it can be scary but it can also be humbling at times when you're like oh i got this got this great idea and then you send it to the director and they're like no that's not really the direction i I was thinking and then you have to kind of revamp everything but then when they love it then it's totally worth it. So <laughs> you just keep working on it till you get what they want. It's so different than like writing a like a rock song or a pop song because you're telling a story that like a director already has a vision for. The actors have like a piece and you know, everybody's got a different angle on how this story is gonna be told. And ultimately the director gets the final say, but then the editor, <laughs> you know, has the final final say. So, you know. There's just so many pieces. What what would you like to see or what would be a good thing to have? What to you makes a good music scene? I guess for one, I feel like there are so many people in this community that are sort of outside of my, you know, sort of artistic community, whether it be musicians or actors who are so unaware of local bands who are writing original stuff. 
I would love it if more people in town knew about all the great bands that are out there that are writing their own music. I feel like there's a lot of love for cover bands when it comes to like, you know, street festivals and big events. And I'll just use this as an example. So I I go see a personal trainer on a regular basis. He loves music, absolutely loves it. And he's always talking about music and songs that he likes and his sister-in-law is a singer. And when I started talking to him about my stuff, he was like, yeah, but don't you play covers? And I'm like, well, occasionally to fill in some time, you know, because it's hard to fill up like a a long set and, and it's nice to have a little palate cleanser or whatever. But I said, I really like to write my own stuff. And he's like, yeah, but nobody knows it. So they can't sing along. And I'm like, oh, that's such a different way of thinking about it. Like so many people, they only want to go to a show where they know the stuff. And I'm like, that's really the thing. It's like, of course, I like to go see bands that I have their album. I know the music. I can go. I can sing along. I get excited when like they play a the song that I really love. And that's what I would love to see is that more people in town like feel that way about local bands and are excited to go see them live because they are accessible, but also their music's so great. And so we're all going to sing and dance and like enjoy it. Like that would be my utopia situation. <laughs> I'm hoping at least during the pandemic that maybe people are looking for more local stuff that's that's on the streaming services because they can't go out to shows and now that some of us you know have to work from home a little bit more maybe we're listening to more music maybe we turn on but i i I don't know it's like how do you get people to go out and become familiar with those songs right like it's um you know and i I don't want to say anything negative about cover bands and people who cover because that's important too and obviously those songs are awesome which is why you're singing them and people like them but i also feel like you know we need to give some love to people that are working hard and like creating new content do you have a favorite concert that you saw in champaign urbana one of the first local concerts that made an impact on me was in 2008 I believe it was Taste of Champagne. It was in Westside Park. It was an outdoor concert. And I had never met Ryan or Jody Groff. I found out later that Jody was working for the Park District at that time, and she was helping to plan that event and procured a alternative music tent in addition to like sort of the whatever you want to call mainstream music tent. And I had a couple of good friends. I still have those good friends um, who had been living in the town for much longer than I had and said, hey, I think you'd really enjoy coming out to hear this music. And I was newly single mom at the time. So I was always looking for things to do that I could bring my girls to. And so I came to this Saturday afternoon and sat down in front of this, you know, alternative music tent. And there was a group from Minnesota that was there, um, Gray Coats. They were really awesome. And then Common Loon played. And that was the first time I had heard them. And they were amazing. I was like, so I loved their sound. And then Elsinore played. Um, And that was the first time I had heard their music and my girls were so into it. So if it was 2008 
Ellen would have been seven and Sophie would have been five, and they loved going to shows and concerts. They wanted to get Ryan's autograph after the show. So we went up to the stage afterwards, bought a CD, and Ryan signed it, and we still have it. So that was pretty great. That was a really good kind of taste into local music that I really enjoyed. And I knew right then that I wanted to work with those people if that ever became an opportunity. COVID-19 got you down? You looking for some music, some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, ExileMainStreet.com, for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So Kara, what is your favorite non-musical thing? I won't say acting because that's probably the truth, but it's also a performing thing. I'm going to tell you what my favorite non-performing thing is, and that is decorating. I really enjoy like decorating my house, picking paint colors, you know, remodeling things, like small things. I, I have to hire people to do big things, but I've always loved color theory and I read magazines about interior design and stuff. Then I sit and dream and and then I figure out how can I change this room and what color will I paint it. And so I always have like a project going on in my brain, if not in person. So <laughs> when did you discover that you like decorating or have you always been into decorating? My mother was always really into decorating and she would change things up every, you know, 10 years or so, it'd be like, oh, we're getting new wallpaper. Oh, we're, you know, changing the color of the living room or, oh, she ordered a new sofa, you know? So I always had this idea that like, oh, that's a thing that people do. I've picked up this terrible, terrible habit that she had, which is to like criticize people's houses <laughs> that don't look so great. <laughs> it's terrible. My husband calls me on it all the time because we, <laughs> Our neighborhood had a lot of hail damage this summer, so everybody's getting new siding. And we're still waiting for our new siding, and I'll be like, oh, why did they pick that color? Oh, oh, that roof doesn't go with that vinyl, you know? <laughs> it's terrible. But as a kid, I loved rearranging furniture because it made my room feel new. I didn't know that that's like why I like doing it. It was always kind of like, oh, this is kind of fun. I'm going to put my desk over here. And so then when I got out on my own and had my first place, I got married really young. And when we got our first apartment, I was just like dreaming about, oh, I want, you know, to be able to do this and that, but you have no money. I started to figure out how to be creative with without spending a lot of money. And that's when it kind of hit me. A friend of mine gave me a book called 
use what you have decorating. And it was all about like furniture arrangement and how to like hang pictures so they look nice and things like that. And that's when it kind of dawned on me like this is a thing. And if I hadn't gone into performing arts, I probably would have gone in that direction. So so do, do you have a favorite color combination that is kind of your, your go-to or your favorite that you always reflect back on and say, I really like that combination? Yeah, it's sort of by accident. I... I realized that I was using orange a lot. In my first house that I got here in Champaign-Urbana, I used a wall hanging as sort of my inspiration for the colors. And it had sort of a dusty blue and a sort of rusty kind of orange and sort of a taupe color in it. And then I started realizing like, I really like that terracotta kind of orangey color. And I had it in my old house. And then when we moved here, it just kept appearing in all of the rooms that I was decorating. I kept trying to go with yellow and I was like, nah, it never quite looked right. So orange has kind of become my my signature, but I really love green too. I always have green in different rooms as well. That's interesting because that I, I feel like that color orange is also the color orange that you used on the Stronghold album cover. Like you that, are correct. That sunset <laughs> and like the, the lettering. I was wearing a green dress and we were in a soybean field and the sun was setting and it just it just lit everything up. Just that beautiful color. And it just was like, yep, this is it. It's my favorite color. I love it. So, yeah, it's kind of become my my thing. Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and telling me about your song Twist and Turn off the album Stronghold and how the Linnea Crux name came about and your experience with acting and being a part of the the music scene, doing pens to lens and your favorite non-musical thing of decorating and and sharing (laughs) your favorite orange color with me. So thank you for just being on the show. Oh, it was so much fun talking with you. And it just brings up so many great memories of putting all the music together. And I'm very lucky to be a part of the community here and very lucky to have such talented people around me. for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Kara Marisi, aka Linnea Crux, reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. South <laughs> <laughs> on the inside.